I'm going to begin this morning by going back to the book of Acts, about the 15th chapter of Acts. And I want to um, I want to see this morning if we can review something that is so important to us. Uh, absolutely essential, but it's so easy to lose sight of. I find myself losing sight of this. And I can't tell you how many times in my in my life I've had to come back to this very same point and see as if relearn this over again. It's as if it's one of those things that um, you know, one of those things you view that it looks one way, the old woman and the young girl, for example, looks one way, the one looks another way, and then you see it and then you don't see it. Um, and you have to come back and have somebody point it out to you again and then you can see it for a few minutes and then you lose sight of it. So those, uh, those little exercises in perception that you uh, see in school. Now, uh, I want to go back to Acts chapter 15. And uh, there, there came a point when Paul and Barnabas had a conversation. And Paul said to Barnabas, and this is after they had had their first missionary journey throughout all of Asia, and they had established various churches in, in different cities. And so there came a point when Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again and see, visit all those churches that we established, and let's see how they're doing. Which is just a kind of a normal uh, discussion to have. And so Paul said, let's go again and see how they're doing. Now what I'd like to ask to begin this morning is to think about a little bit with me is, um, what did he mean by that? <laughs> see how they're doing. What would you think of? see how they're doing. Let's go back and visit those churches again where we preach the gospel. And by the way, when they preached the gospel, what did they preach? What was their message? Well, they preached that Jesus had come, that who Jesus was. They talked about the things he did, the wonderful things he did, who he really was. They preached that he had uh, died on the cross in fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that predicted that he would die that way, that he would die as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world, and that if they would come into a right relationship with God, they must believe and accept that sacrifice that Jesus had made for them. But, there was more to what they preached than that. So when it came then, uh, if I were to ask you, uh, let's go back and ask and see how they're doing, then the kinds of things that would come to my mind right away and see how they're doing is, I would think right away about behavior. You know, how are they doing? How are they living? How are they walking? How are they behaving? Are they living the same as they used to live before we went there? Or have they been changed? And we have a tendency to always think in terms of behavior. But the Gospel doesn't deal with behavior first. Now, the Old Testament deals with behavior first. In the Old Testament, we find uh, God manifesting Himself, revealing Himself, and He uh, delivers His laws to the people. The Ten Commandments really is the summation of God's moral law. And then people are obliged to live and to walk according to those laws, to obey those laws, not to steal, not to kill, um, not to covet things that belong to other people. You know, all the basically the Ten Commandments. To love God with all their heart soul, strength. 
But then they found, as uh, people found, that they weren't able to do those things. As much as they would like to, there was something in their natural abilities that prevented them from actually doing the things that they wanted to do. So somebody said, you know, I'm going to love God supremely. I'm going to love God with all my heart, with all my strength. I'm just going to love God supremely. That's a wonderful thing. Put God first in everything I do. I put myself subordinate to God in everything I do. That's what I'm going to do. And that lasts for about 24 hours. Until a person realizes after, oh, you know, uh, I've been putting myself first. I haven't been... I want to put God first in everything, but I'm really not doing that. I'm putting myself first. I'm selfish. Something in me is preventing me from doing the thing that I want to do. So, when the uh, apostles went and established those churches in all of Asia, and they preached the gospel, they didn't preach just the Old Testament, but they preached the New Testament. And the New Testament means a new covenant, a new way in which God... um, communicates himself to human beings. And so this is what I want to do this morning, is to review with you a little bit of this. And so I'm suggesting to you that when Paul and Barnabas then, if they would go back and revisit all of those churches that had been planted, what they would be looking for would not be primarily just behavior, but they would be looking for what changes behavior. Let me say that again. They wouldn't be looking just at behavior, but they would be looking at what changes behavior. I find myself to be very honest. Let me just be really honest with you. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes I find myself um, looking and viewing and, and assessing circumstances and events and I find myself being very dissatisfied with what I see. I find myself being dissatisfied sometimes with decisions that I see made. I sometimes say to myself, you know, I don't think that's a right decision. I don't think that's proper. I don't think that's right. No, I don't go around voicing all my opinions because that's not that's not the way we operate in the New Testament church. It's not a dictatorship at all. It's uh, people make free decisions and that's our right before God. But then when I come to a place where I'm coming to this morning, I find myself challenged not to think about it that way, but if I find then that there's something wrong with behaviors or something missing in the decision-making process, or if I see fellow believers making decisions that are not wise, for example, and I can see that they're not wise, then what I have to do is I have to realize, well, where do wise decisions come from? You see, wise decisions do not come from somebody standing in front of people and telling them what they should do and how they should live. Now that really seems as if it... Really? Isn't that the way it's supposed to? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not that way. It's not that way. So let's look at this a little bit this morning, and I'm going to uh, ask you to uh, join me in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we will uh, will flesh out this passage of Scripture. Um, Galatians chapter 3, and I think I'll begin to read. Sherry has these verses on the overhead, so perhaps I'll just read them from there in the event that some do not have a Bible with you and you'd like to read this 
along with us. So we'll begin to read at verse number 2, and then we'll read through, and I think we have maybe to verse number 10, that we will read together. Now, this is uh, in answer to the first question. Later on, of course, Paul will write a letter to the believers in, in uh, Galatia, and the churches there in that province, and he would write these words to them. He said, this only would I learn of you. This is what I want to, to find out from you. This is my question. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you receive the Spirit, he said? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? This is what I want to know from you. Answer me this question. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying all the laws, the Ten Commandments and the laws of God found in the Old Testament? By the works of the law. Is this how you received the Holy Spirit? Did you, were you faithful in your life and you, and you, you fulfilled all the commandments of God, you did everything right before God, and as a payment for doing everything right, then did God give you the Holy Spirit because you were a good boy or a good girl? Did He give you the Holy Spirit as a payment for your good deeds that you did? No. No. Well, how did He give you the Holy Spirit? This is what He's asking them. This is what they would do when they went back to those churches to find out how they were doing is they would ask them these kinds of questions. They would take them right back to the very beginning when they preached the Gospel to them. And they would tell them that to satisfy God and to be right before God, it wasn't based on the things that you did out of your own strength and your own energy. But it was, you had to come into faith and you came into faith by hearing God's Word in your heart, inside. The wisdom to make the right decisions came from there. The ability to obey God's laws came from there. He said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, it's by the hearing of faith. What does it mean, the hearing of faith? Well, in the Old Testament, um, there are prophecies found, for example, in Jeremiah and various other prophets. And as they would write, they were moved of the Holy Spirit to write words like this. The time will come says the Lord when I will take my laws that now you have written on stone and I will take those laws that are now written on stone and I will write them myself upon the fleshy tables of the human heart of human spirit I will write my laws right inside you the time will come when I God will do that I will write my laws on your spirit, on your heart, and I will say right on your spirit, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. I won't just write them out here on a piece of paper. I won't write them on tablets of stone. But I'll write them on your spirit. I'll write them on your mind. I'll write them on the inside of you. I'll write on the inside of you, Thou shalt not steal. I'll write on the inside of you, you shall not commit adultery. You shall be faithful to the one that you commit yourself to. I'll write on the inside of you, you shall not bear false witness or lie or bear false witness against your neighbor. All these things now are taken in the New Covenant and God prophesied it in the Old Testament. 
I'm going to take it, even we have to be careful that our relationship with God is not just based on the letters of the pages. Now there are words on these pages, and we believe these words to be God's word to us, and they are. But you know that inside these words is spirit, inside these words is life, inside these words is a spiritual dynamic that is intended to be registered or written inside of you and inside of me. So we know it, not just because it's written here and try to obey it because it's written here, but we know it because it's written inside of us and we obey it because it is the it is the driving force of our life and it becomes actually a new life and we receive a heart transplant, spiritually, a spiritual heart transplant. That's what he's writing to these people in Galatia. This only what I learned from you. This is the only question I have for you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by doing everything that you knew to be good, or by the hearing of faith? It is in this process described as the hearing of faith, this phrase, the hearing of faith, that God's Word is written upon the heart. Let's go on to the next verse. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? I mean, you, you began this life because the Holy Spirit wrote God's laws upon your interior life, and now are you going to walk and live your life every day based on your own strengths? Let's just pause for a moment and ask you a question. How many of you are... Uh, let me just ask the younger ones. How many here have kind of some summer employment that you're engaged in? Anybody? Summer jobs? Yeah. All right. Good. Good. Let me ask you this question. How many here, or is it Jesus? How many of you are getting paid in advance? You know, the person that you're working for says to you, on uh, Monday morning. Okay, now here is a certain sum of money. I want you to work for me this week. Here's your money in advance. How many? How many are getting paid after you finish your work for your week? How many? <laughs> you know what? Now I'm just using that as an example. I'm not suggesting you go to your employer and ask them to take it in advance. <laughs> I'm saying to you that you're getting paid and you're operating on an Old Testament way. Because you are earning everything that you're getting. And your employer is essentially saying to you, I want you to work for me, and then based on the work that you perform for me, I'm going to pay you if you work satisfactorily for me, do the work that I've assigned you to do, then I will pay you for what you have done. You've earned every penny of it. That's an Old Testament way. Now when we come into the Christian life and we tend to apply those same uh, ways of thinking and doing to the Christian life, it creates a huge problem for us because we find that when it comes to God and satisfying God and doing things perfectly before God that no human being has ever been able to do that, only one. His name is Jesus. So then people say, well, then it doesn't really matter what you do. It's not so important what you do. What's really important is what Jesus did for you. So just accept what Jesus did for you 
See yourself as perfect in Him. God doesn't look at the sins you've committed all this week. He just looks at you and, and sees Jesus and He just forgets about the sins you've committed. No, it's not really like that. It's not like that. Sometimes we wish it was like that. But it's not like that. God doesn't give any Christian a license just to go out and live the way that person has always lived and expect to be saved in the end. I'm going to be bold enough to say this morning that that's bad teaching. Well then, where is the truth in all of this? If it's if I can't satisfy God in by the way I live and if I can't keep His laws in a way that satisfies Him and He doesn't pay me at the end of the week when I have done a have been a good boy or a good girl all week and so he gives me his spirit and his presence because he's pleased with what I've done. Then how does it work? God comes to you on Monday morning, spiritually speaking, and he pays you Monday morning. And he pays you and me Monday morning. I'm using this figuratively, you you understand what I mean. On Monday morning God comes to you and me and he says, Here, here am I. I'm here with you this morning. And I'm giving you of my word. I'm giving you my spirit. I'm energizing you. I'm giving you a brand new life. And here this morning, Monday morning, I'm writing my requirements for you on your conscience, on your consciousness, on your spirit, on your mind. And I am giving you in in this, and I'm giving you faith. Faith comes by hearing my word. This is my word to you. In this comes faith. But without this faith, you can't please me. And based on what I give you Monday morning now, I'll give you an ability, I'll give you an inclination, I'll change your will, I'll change your want to, I'll give you a power to do what I want you to do. But listen, my loved one, the power or the ability to do this week what I want you to do this week does not come from you it comes from what I'm giving you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It doesn't come from you. It comes from what I'm giving you and putting into you. Next week it will be the same thing. And so here is my payment for this week. I'm giving it to you first before you've ever done anything. Because if I don't give it to you first, you won't be able to do it. I'm giving it to you first. I wonder what that would be like if people started to pay their employees first. Oh, I, I'm just thinking that loud. What I want to do is I want to show the difference. See, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of men. It's not like it at all. And when we try to apply the principles of this world to the things of God, we end up with religion without any of God's power. Let's go on and read the next few verses. He said, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law? Does he do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Well, the answer is, he does it by the hearing of faith. See, when you get into this area of the ministry, this is the New Testament ministry of Jesus Christ that we're reading about. Where the Holy Spirit writes God's laws on the interior lives of human beings. And as a consequence of that, 
there are great things done. Souls are one for the gospel. Miracles happen. Healings occur. Great things occur in this. I'm just going to pause there, Sherry, with that. Um, and then I want to... Um, I want to share. I'm not going to take a long time. It's fine. I want to share something with you. And I think this kind of amplifies what we have been sharing briefly just so far. How many have heard the name Charles Spurgeon? Have I ever talked about Charles Spurgeon? Have I ever spoken about Grandma Hodden? <laughs> You know, there's a big difference probably between Charles Spurgeon and Grandma Hodden, but there's a great similarity between the two at the same time. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon wrote a book many, many years ago. Charles Spurgeon was, uh, of course, in England, lived in England all his life, and uh, he was a preacher in England. Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. When it came to going and listening to preachers, in the big cathedrals of the day, uh, Charles Spurgeon was, uh, he stood out from all the rest. He really did. He stood out from all the rest. Uh, Spurgeon was a magnificent preacher. He was a very spiritual man. And he was, he was a man that God had called, especially for the hour, for the time, which he lived. He wrote a book called uh, All of Grace, All of Grace, All of Grace. And I'll submit to you that uh, essentially what he wrote in that book would be pretty pretty close to what we're sharing today. Now, I'm not sharing with you what I read in the book because I haven't finished reading the book yet. <laughs> I just read, read the introduction to the book. You got a Kindle? You can go on, and uh, Ken's got a Kindle there in his, in his hand. You can go to uh, Amazon.com, or there's probably other places too, and you can download uh, Charles Spurgeon's writings. You can download all the works of uh, all the great writers of the past, John Bunyan, all of his works. Download them in about 20 seconds. It took them lifetimes to write it. This was contained in the introduction to his book, All of Grace. Let me read it to you. A certain man placed a fountain by the wayside and he hung up a cup near to it so that... Uh, he hung up a cup near to it by a little chain. I'm going to have to take my glasses, put my glasses on. Boy, I don't like wearing these glasses. <laughs> you get used to them. I do. <laughs> well, you keep telling me that, Calvin. You've told me that before. And I keep not listening to him. <laughs> you know, Calvin, when we get to heaven, we won't need you. <laughs> but until then, we'll wear them. <laughs> oh, here we are. <laughs> a certain man placed a fountain by the wayside, and he hung up a cup near to it by a little chain. And he was told sometime after the great art critic had found much fault with its design. See, the art critic came along and looked at the fountain and the little cup on the chain and he didn't like the design. But, the man said, do many thirsty persons drink at it? 
And then they told him that thousands of poor people, men, women, and children, slaked their thirst at this fountain, and he smiled and said that he was little troubled by the critic's observation. Only he hoped that on some sultry summer's day, the critic himself might fill the cup and be refreshed. Praise the name of the Lord. And so Spurgeon writes, Here is my fountain, here is my cup. Find fault if you please, but do drink of the water of life. I only care for this. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? See in his book, All of Grace, here is my water. You know, here's my fountain. And here's my cup. If you want to find fault with it, go ahead. Find fault with it. But after you found fault with it, then drink from it. That's all I care about, is that you drink from it. And that's all we need to do, really, with regards to the great truths of the New Testament, of the Gospel, is to drink from them. Drink from them. And we find in drinking from them that then God establishes the faith in our spirit on the inside, without which it's not possible to please God. It's really simple. But it's if we have to turn it all around and look at it from an entirely different perspective. Listen to this. He continues, I heard a story, I think it came from the North Country. This would be the north of England, not uh, you know, the Arctic or something. He writes, A minister called upon a poor woman intending to give her help, for he knew that she was very poor. And with his money in his hand, he knocked at the door, but she did not answer. And he concluded she was not at home and went his way. A little after he met her at the church and told her that he had remembered her need. He said, I called at your house and knocked several times. And I suppose you were not at home, for I had no answer. At what hour did you call, sir? Oh, it was about noon, he said. Oh, dear, she said. I heard you, sir. And I'm so sorry I did not answer. I bet she was really sorry because he said he had the money in his hand that she needed so desperately. I'm so sorry I did not answer. But I thought it was the man calling for the rent. She didn't answer the door because she thought it was the landlord coming and asking for the rent. And she didn't have money to pay the rent. And so she didn't answer the door. It's the same as today when bill collectors phone and people don't answer the phone. But what happens if on the phone that day was someone with a great gift? I didn't answer the phone because I thought somebody was calling for the rent. And he continues. He said, now it is not, now it is my desire to be heard. It is my desire to be heard. And therefore I want to say that I am not calling for the rent. Indeed, it is not the object of this book to ask anything of you but to tell you that salvation is all of grace, which means it's free, which means it's gratis, which means it's for nothing, which means you can't earn it, you can't pay for it, but you must receive it to be right with God. But it's free. But if you don't receive it, you cannot be right with God. Our right relationship with God through Jesus Christ is based, of course, on the elementary, fundamental truths of the gospel and hearing those, of course, but when it comes to believing those, it is not simply enough to say, do you believe this? Do you accept this by faith? Do you just accept this by faith? 
And if you do, you're safe. It does not work that way. It works this way rather. Listen, my loved one. Listen to these great truths. So until, listen to them until they are imprinted and written upon your spirit. Unless and until they are written upon your spirit, you cannot have the faith necessary to make these promises your own. You make these promises your own by faith. Faith, though, is a gift. It's not your faith. It's the faith that comes to you when these promises are being written upon your spirit. Listen, listen. Don't think somebody's coming to you to collect something from you that you can't pay, and so you don't listen. Listen. It's free. It's a gift. It's gratis. It's for nothing. I just have one other passage I'd like to uh, read. It's maybe you join me with it in Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to just ask Ruth if she'll come and play the song she has chosen for us. I'm going to read the first uh, eight verses of Acts chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bible in your hand, then just please listen to them carefully. And as I read them, I'm going to ask you this question again, the same question Paul asked the believers in Galatia. Uh, you know, did you come into this uh, by the works of your of the law? Or did you come into this new life by the gift of God's Spirit? What happened first? Did you work and earn it first? Or did He give it to you first and write it on your heart? And then based on that you were able to live it. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which He was taken up after He, through the Holy Spirit, given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen of them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but he had previously told them to go to all the places of the then known world and to proclaim the gospel. They knew that they were commissioned to preach the gospel. They knew that. But now, he is saying to them, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, I'm going to just close with this verse. But Jesus said to them, But you shall receive power. And the word power here means you shall receive ability you shall receive efficiency. You shall receive might. And what essentially he's saying to his disciples is, you will receive all the ability and the efficiency and the might 
that you need to do the things that I've called you to do. And He'd say the same thing to you. And to me. I've called you to do certain things. I have not called you to live in sin and expect to be saved at the end. I've called you to live a holy life, a pure life. I've called you to obey my laws. But I've called you to do all those things through the gift that I will give you and not through your own strength. Do you see the difference? I pray, I pray we all not only see the difference right now this morning, but that we continue to see the difference here. There's a huge difference here. I remember the first time I came to see this. And prior to that time in my own life, I just said, you know, I'd like to be a Christian, but I could never live the Christian life. Do you know there are a lot of honest people in this world who would say, I could never live the Christian life? Because they're not, they know that it's not okay to live wrong and call yourself a Christian. They know it's not right. They know that's not right. But they're honest enough to say, but I can't live that life. I'm not going to pretend that I can when I can. And I'm not going to call myself something I'm not. And I'm not going to call myself a Christian when I am not a Christian. And I'm not a Christian because I can't live that life. That's what I said. I don't want anything to do with churches, I said. No, I don't want that. As far as I'm concerned, a lot of that is phony, I said. No, I didn't have the right to say it, but that's, I'm just telling you what I said. And then in my searching, I came one day to this very place where I began to see this for the first time, that it was possible. I can tell you almost the place I was when this first happened. You know what I was doing? I was driving a patrol car. I was driving a, otherwise known as a police car. That's what I was doing. I was somewhere around Huron Street, Hudson Street, west of where Wayne's shop is in the Sioux. And I was working. And I was having this quiet conversation in, in, on the inside while I was working. So you can do them at both at the same time. And I said, I, 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 would, I, I would love to live this Christian life, but I can't live the Christian life because, I mean, the temptations that I'm experiencing on the inside and, and so on, I, I can't live that life, but I would like to live that life. And then it came to me just like this, well, what if, what if I could change? What if your inclinations were changed? What if your desire was changed? What if those things... What if there was a complete transformation on the inside of you so that the things that you like doing now, you didn't like doing those things anymore, and the things that you don't like doing now, you were able to like and enjoy doing? What if there was a complete change on the inside? And I remember saying, well, yeah, if that could happen, then I could. And then it came to me just like this. But that's what the New Testament is a complete revolution, a complete change on the inside. So the things you once hate, you now love. The things you once loved, you now hate. It's a complete transformation on the inside of you. Can you hear me? Can you understand that? I said, I can see that. And I said, if you can do that, I could live it. I didn't know then that I was actually 
parroting and being spiritually taught what was contained in Galatians. I didn't know it then. But that's when it started. That's when it started back in 1969. That very thing. Now, even to this day though, let me tell you that there's times in my own life day to day that I forget that. I lose sight of that a little bit. And I find myself with expectations of other people sometimes. Why don't they do this? Why don't they see this? Why can't they see that? You know, that's not really far. You see what I'm saying? I, I, I'm losing a little bit of sight of that. Unless it's written on the heart, none of us can see it. None of us can do it if it's not written on the heart. Well, this week, when someone comes to the door of your heart and knocks, answer it. It won't be the rent collector. It will be the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, coming to you to give to you the precious gift of eternal life. And so in verse 8, he said to his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will have power. You won't have it before he comes upon you. After he comes upon you, you will have the power. I'll pay you first. I will pay you first, then you will go and work for me. And you should be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts, or to the end of the earth. Even so, Lord, we appreciate and love your word. We appreciate and love you, because you are the word made flesh. Write yourself imprint yourself upon our heart when we talk about writing the word upon our heart we're not just talking about writing abstract ideas upon the human mind we're talking about nothing less than the writing of Christ himself the imprinting of himself upon the human spirit and with that all things are possible to us we can be whoever he's called us to be with that and that's the only way Ruth has a song for us